right, and welcome back. We are at UNC Asheville, and uh, thank you to the Family Business Forum again for hosting and sponsoring this series. This is part four in our ongoing series of Navigating Employee Benefits. And I also want to give a quick thank you to Sophia, who has been so integral at Family Business Forum in organizing this. Let's give her a round of applause. And then also, again, to our panelists for spending time this morning when they could be out doing enrollments. <laughs> and to all of you that are here in person and getting your questions up here for the panel on behalf of all the folks that are out there listening to this conversation in Radioland. Before we get into the questions, one of the things that we didn't cover in the first portion of the discussion is talking about full-time equivalency and how employee counts work, which is important, and it's going to come up in some of the questions. So I just wanted to start off. Um, Kelly, if you want to address this, talk about what full-time equivalency is and how that affects people's options or obligations. Yeah, so full-time equivalency, um, or your FTEs, um, is if you're an employer who has either 50 full-time employees that are then benefit-eligible um, or 50 full-time equivalent where it's a combination. It could be a combination of your full-time, your part-time, if you have seasonal or temporary workers. Um, it's just a combination of all of that. There's a, a calculation or a formula that can be used to help you track that uh, where you're looking you know, back at last year, you know, the previous calendar year versus this year um, to determine if you have become an ALE or a, a large employer. Um, it basically indicates that you're now required by the Affordable Care Act or the ACA to offer uh, minimum essential coverage um, to your employees. That minimum essential coverage also has to be affordable um, by the ACA guidelines, and then you're also required to um, report that you're offering minimum essential coverage um, to the IRS and to um, CMS. And on the flip side of that, too, and I'm not sure how it might impact on supplemental ancillary type products or with um, direct primary care, are there minimal participation numbers that you all have to look at for a group to be set up in a business? Yeah, sometimes it depends on uh, a product mix, but typically most supplemental carriers will go down to as little as three employees, um, which makes what we can do very, very flexible for our community. Um, the smaller the business, the less likely it is that they're going to have the budget for, unfortunately, for things like maybe a fully insured health plan. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't have a resource available to put together a really decent benefits package. When you look at indemnity plans through a carrier like Affleck or any carrier, um, in partnership with direct primary care or maybe an outside telemedicine partner, um, you, you've got a lot of basis covered there, even if you can't afford to offer major medical. And Rachel, any minimum participation? No minimum. Okay. We, we have a, a price point that's designed to particularly to take care of our smaller employers. Um, so, no, no our, our rate's already designed to take care of you. And I know everyone on the panel was committed to uh, being Switzerland in the conversation, but yeah. just for the sake of people's aha moment, talk about your price points for your direct primary. So Mercy's committed to leading the market in, in low price for a membership plan or direct primary care model. And, and if you visit mercyurgentcare.org, you'll, you'll see what those price points are. So that's $59 per employee per month in exchange for unlimited access to in-person care or telemedicine care at any one of our eight locations in five counties in western North Carolina. All right. And Jake, on the supplemental side, when people are looking at budget things, I know from having worked with, with you, um, there's a target range where you try to make sure people don't go above a certain point of spending on their strategic 
the selections of what they have. Sure. Okay. So, you know, in our world, we have what I'd like to call flexible funding options. So an employer can fund a portion of the supplemental side if they want to, but unlike the ACA requirements around uh, major medical, uh, an employer isn't required to. So you can offer supplemental indemnity plans on a voluntary basis. Um, that's still saving the business money. It's making your package more robust or giving you a package in the first place. Uh, but an employer can choose to fund a portion of that package if they want. So I want to touch on that first. Um, that they can decide maybe to fund a plan, for example. Um, we've had clients that maybe had issues around their, their work comp um, and decided to fund an accident plan to help shift that cost away from maybe those Monday morning, Tuesday morning injuries um, start to decrease by putting a plan where they have access to a way to offset the cost of maybe that at-home injury that all of a sudden turns into uh, on-the-job injury, uh, for example. Uh, but it, even if it's offered on a voluntary basis, what we generally look at is um, each employee and what their hourly wage is. And the kind of the standard rule of thumb is typically from a budgetary standpoint, Employees are comfortable spending around one to two hours worth of hourly wage per week on supplemental benefits. Um, but we really, and that's where the education piece comes in, we really drill down with each individual and, and their budget concerns. Because everybody's budget is different, but we, we try to work within that framework for each individual. Um, because I'm a firm believer. Indemnity plans, supplemental things like DPC offer peace of mind. And, and I truly believe peace of mind is only peace of mind if you're not worried about the premiums coming out of your paycheck. So if the employees are paying too much, it's not good for everybody. So we really try to take budget into consideration. Yeah, and I want to throw out there again, too, as a reminder, um, you know, not just as a promotional that we have another part coming up in our series um, on radio, but when you talk about prescription management programs and, and things like that, there's a lot of other elements to this overall strategy that maybe isn't you know, articulated in the panel today. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Um, but that's actually a great segue into our first question is, how do you educate and articulate these innovative plans to employers and employees? So when we sit down with employers, um, you know, we're, we're there to help you look at your solutions. So, you know, we kind of have a conversation about your goals. What are, what are your goals? Um, you know, what's your budget? Um, you know, it's just, honestly, it's just a conversation about, you know, what you're open to, what you think your employees would be open to. Um, you know, so I mean, we put together a package that we think would make sense based on, you know, maybe your industry, the type of organization you are, um, again, considering your goals and, and what you want to be able to offer. Um, and from there, you know, we, we help you decide on what options out of those um, make sense. And you know, when it comes to your employees, you know, we feel like education is, you know, the key when it comes to your employees, because if you're going to take the time to Put a benefit package together, you know, um, have these options to offer to them. Um, the goal is to make sure that they're educated on what those options are and so that they can make informed decisions that they're confident and comfortable with um, and so that they know how to best utilize those plans. So, you know, whether it's major medical, supplemental benefits, you know, a DPC, telemedicine, um, regardless of what benefits you're offering, education is key because without it, it honestly just doesn't make sense. I, I was a teacher for 10 years and another lifetime, and there were a couple of things that we always said as educators. One is teaching is repetition, teaching is repetition. The other one is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, then tell them what you told them. 
uh, in the same vein. You, you can't over-communicate, and, and you also can't oversimplify. I don't think, the, uh, the benefits plans. You've, you've put a significant investment into these plans because they are critically important to taking care of the whole person that is the employee. So uh, there are a couple of ways that you can go about educating. If, if you're a large enough organization that you have human resources in-house, then of course you have a, a great vessel there for communicating with consistency and repetition the value of the benefits. That is a big part of the value proposition of a human resources professional. But if you uh, don't have a human resources professional in-house or, or maybe you need additional support, I would advise partnering with a really great insurance broker um, that I happen to have personal experience with, by the way, sitting at the table, that will show up, <laughs> that will show up to your open enrollment sessions and your education sessions and make sure that every employee truly understands the value of the investment in them that you are making. Yeah, I, I, we both answered that question very well. I just, I, you know, I stated it before. I think it's critical that you, you think through strategies beyond just implementing benefits. You know, implementing benefits is just simply the first step. And I, I love, I couldn't repeat what you said, but just the whole repeat mantra. You've got to educate, 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 and, and keep things in front of employees. Um, things that are out of sight, out of mind um, for folks become out of sight, out of mind. So if there's strategies that you want to put in place alongside your broker, um, communicate it. Um, reminding people that they have DPC available, reminding people that maybe that, that, that standalone telemedicine is there for them if they get sick. Um, you know, reminding them about wellness benefits wrapped up in certain policies. You know, all those things, if you communicate them well throughout the planning year, um, your benefits are going to be utilized more effectively. And that's what you want. And I think it's a big miss by a lot of employers is that they open enrollment comes, the benefits start, and then they move on to the next thing. Uh, but they don't ask themselves the question, are the benefits that, that we're investing in and making available to our employees, are they being utilized effectively? And they're not going to be utilized effectively if you don't focus on education. Uh, but that starts with open enrollment. Now, we believe a one-on-one -on -one approach is needed. Um, I think employees need uh, uh, to have someone available to them on an individual basis because regardless of the package you put together, um, not everything for every employee is cookie cutter, right? Needs are different, situations are different, their individual needs are different. So they really need a one-on-one -on -one with somebody to talk through their individual needs so they can land on the benefits that fit the best for them. Um, so that's where it starts, but continuing education throughout the planning year is a necessity. Do, do any of you have like posters, email templates, things like that that can be provided to businesses to make available and visible to their employees throughout the year? We do. We have uh, materials based around the um, benefits that you're offering. So, you know, telemedicine, for instance, you want to make sure your employees remember that they have it. I mean, we try to educate on the fact that, you know, if it's something acute, it could be easily diagnosed either over the phone or through, you know, video chat on a device. Um, that's your first line of service. It's going to be your um, most cost-effective or least expensive, and it's going to be um, the most convenient. Um, so you definitely want to keep telemedicine, you know, information in front of your employees. Um, there's also newsletters. We do newsletter campaigns. You know, every every month is the you know an awareness month. So you want to make sure people are just taking advantage of like their preventative care. 
You know, are you going to see your doctor for your routine annual physicals? Are you, you know, having your mammograms or colonoscopies or, you know, things that um, could lead, you know, to early detection, which, you know, we always educate is going to lead to better outcomes. So um, there's a number of ways you can, you know, continue to keep things in front of your employees just so that it's at the forefront of their mind. Um, so if something happens, you know, it's right there with them. Um, anything that your employees can register for, like a, excuse me, a member portal or with telemedicine, um, you know, we always just recommend that people go ahead, get registered, get it set up, because the last thing you want is to have to fool with, you know, getting set up or registered to access something um, when you're, you're not feeling well or your child's not feeling well. So, you know, things like that I think are important too. I was going to say that we're, we're really talking about the holistic benefit to the employee, but there's also a financial benefit to the employer it would, uh, of, of that education. If you have an employee that, that knows how to utilize their benefit and they get in to a healthcare facility before a problem becomes something that sends them to the emergency room or, or otherwise is a much more expensive problem down the road, then you save the organization money as well as the employee. And we're going to accelerate a little bit so we can try to get as many questions in as we can. Um, next one is from the audience is, how does having employees in multiple states impact each of your discussions? I can start. So with uh, major medical, um, if you have employees outside of North Carolina, so um, for example, let's say you know, you're headquartered here in North Carolina, but you have um, employees across the country, um, you know, we look at a medical plan that um, is here in North Carolina, but that has nationwide coverage. So you know, we want to make sure that your employees, regardless of their location, have both in and out of network benefits. Um, and that they're going to be able, you know, to use those benefits just as the employees here in North Carolina would. And um, about remote enrollment, I know that's something that has evolved regulatory-wise over the last few years because it was needed. <laughs> um, but talk about that a little bit from an implementation of open enrollment and utilizing remote enrollment for businesses that have employees in multiple states. Yeah, I can touch on that. So, you know, we obviously, you know, we, we do things our own way, uh, but, uh, you know, you want to work with a broker that has the resources available to touch any and all employees, no matter the situation. Um, and that could be because uh, a business has employees that are working out of state, but we have run across more and more businesses where everybody hasn't returned to the office. Um, or if somebody's simply on vacation or maybe sick while open enrollment's going on, you still need a compliant way to reach them. Um, so we put things like call centers and, and the ability to do remote enrollments, but still have that human to human touch. You know, we've invested in technology to be able to facilitate that um, and make that more streamlined. But um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that technology is simply that, a way to streamline um, and a way to make that job a little bit easier. But if you focus solely on technology as a means of um, enrollment and uh, material delivery, as your means of education, then you're, you're missing out. Because I still think that, that technology is just a means. You still need somebody available that knows what they're talking about because that can help guide that employee. So, you know, um, I really don't know how other people are doing it these days. I just know how we do it. Um, and we were doing these things prior to COVID. Fortunately, we had experience with remote enrollments long before COVID was a thing. So we were positioned very well to shift into that model um, pretty much wholly. For, uh, during the pandemic, but um, having that ability to reach people and still have that human-to-human -to -human touch, have a guide for that individual employee is a big deal. 
All right, next audience question. Uh, please discuss level and self-funded and what makes sense for various employee counts and sizes of businesses. So the first thing you would want to consider if you're you know, going to look at a level or self-funded um, plan option is how many um, full-time or benefit-eligible employees do you have? Um, so for level-funded options typically um, or required here in North Carolina, you have to have at least 20 um, benefit-eligible employees. Um, there's participation requirements across the various carriers um, that offer those level-funded plans. Um, those are also going to be just like fully insured plans, so Blue Cross, United Healthcare, um, Aetna, and Cigna. Um, so, you know, all, all of those carriers offer level-funded plan options. Um, they also, um, or you can also use um, level-funded plans that um, aren't through a traditional carrier. So you can get creative, um, use a third-party administrator, um, use a transparent PBM like Sona Pharmacy. Um, so you can get creative there. Um, or with self-funded, um, you know, you can, you can use things like that as well. So that's available. Right, and uh, you brought up third-party administration. That brings us to our next audience question. Um, under third-party administrator, uh, can you talk about the importance of transparency, uh, negotiating prices with providers, and how that ties into requirements for self-funded plans? Anybody on the panel is able to speak to that? So um, the importance of transparency um, and also negotiating price with provider and uh, must be self-funded plans for third-party administrators to be involved. Uh, can you speak to some of that? Um, you can actually utilize third-party administrators for um, some level-funded and self-funded plans. Um, transparency um, is very critical because you, if you're going to use those types of plan options, you want to be able to access information. So the, you know, your utilization, your claims data, you want you want to have access to that, um, you know, so that's beneficial when it comes to transparency. Um, and if you're working with a third-party administrator, you know, you definitely want to work with one that's um, going to, you know, be able to negotiate pricing with carriers or, you know, networks and providers. And uh, this seems like an HR-related question here, but can you please address PEOs and ICRAs? ICRAs? Is it ICRAs or ICRAs? ICRA. ICRA, sorry. Um, who wants to field this and start off by explaining what they are? Well, I can. A professional employer organization is, uh, it's, it's basically a form of uh, outsourced human resources where uh, you're contracting with a company to provide the administration of for benefits and, and other areas of the human resources function. Um, an individual HRA is a, a scenario where an employer makes uh, perhaps a flat fee contribution toward um, toward an employee's health coverage, but the employee would then be deciding what insurance they they would would purchase with that HRA in the marketplace. But correct me if I'm wrong. Um, does the individual HRA disqualify an employee from a subsidy? It does, to my knowledge. Right, and um, we have more questions than we could get to here, but we do want to allow for time still to have the breakout session for those that have been listening on Biz Radio and on podcast platforms everywhere. I want to thank you for tuning in. Again, I want to thank our panelists, Kelly Rose from ISA. Thank you. Also, uh, Jake Kimsey from AFLAC. 
and Rachel Sussman from uh, Mercy Urgent Care. And thank you again to the Family Business Forum. We're going to go ahead and end the broadcast here, but we're going to continue our conversations privately off the air here for a little while longer at UNC Asheville. And thank you again to the Family Business Forum. Uh, you've been listening to Biz Radio's uh, Health Benefits um, Navigation Series. And thank you all for being a part of the audience as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.